teaching for this evening is based on Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. This is God's Word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my uh, favorite sections in one of the historic uh, statements of the Christian faith talks about... um, what the, what the scriptures teach about faith, and it describes various reactions that you may have when you read the Bible. Sometimes you read the Bible and it's very uh, encouraging. It brings lots of, of hope. And then other times you come across passages that, quite frankly, are utterly threatening and, and terrifying. And it has a very interesting way of describing that faith, true faith, trembles at the threatenings of God's word. And when you come to the prophets, like a prophet like Jonah, or any of them, there is an awful lot of threatening going on, to be straight up. God sends his prophets to his people, and he says, listen, you are not trusting me. You are choosing to worship and follow other gods and it is going to end in disaster. So when we come to this passage in, in Jonah, 
It is, I'll just put it this way, speak personally. It was a threatening passage to me all week. And it made me have this reaction of, what does that say about me and my faith? It made me think, am I really a Christian? And what I want to say to you as I've thought about that is, if you are undone or threatened by something in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have faith. It actually might be a sign that you do have faith. That when you confront things in the Bible that challenge you or expose you or make you feel really, really insecure and inadequate, that actually means faith is at work. It's the Scripture's stripping you of anything or, that you might hold to for confidence. So I wanted to say that at the beginning because if, if you're like me, what I have to tell you tonight may have that effect on you. Uh, and so when we come to this passage, last week we looked at uh, the beginning of the book of Jonah, the first three verses where God calls Jonah and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh, this great city, it's the capital of Assyria, perhaps the greatest enemy of Israel in this period of, of God's, the history of God's people. Go to Nineveh and preach to them. And Jonah, uh, the only prophet in the Bible who does this, says no. Uh, other prophets have a hard time with it, but they always come around. Jonah doesn't here in the beginning. He says no, and he runs the opposite direction to Tarshish by way of a port city called Joppa, where he finds a boat. And he's going to take this boat and sail as far away as he possibly can. Yet, as we come to the passage that we're looking at tonight, Jonah does not get very far in his running from God. No sooner than Jonah is on the boat and has been able to fall asleep, God hurls a great windstorm. And the progress that both Jonah makes and the sailors ceases. And we're going to look at that section tonight. And while in this section of the story of Jonah, uh, Jonah and the sailors here really are the most prominent characters, God is really the one who's driving the story forward. And when we come at it from that angle of here is God pursuing his rebellious servant, I want you to see three things from this story tonight. We see a sobering contrast. We see a downward spiral. And we see the need for deep, life-changing grace. So I think what God is showing us in his pursuit of Jonah is a sobering contrast, a downward spiral, and our need for deep, life-changing grace. So first, let's look at what is the sobering contrast Almost all commentators who reflect on the book of Jonah, this passage in particular, notice a significant contrast between Jonah, this prophet of the Lord, and these pagan sailors, all of whom apparently uh, worship different gods. As it says here in verse 5, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his god. So these are people coming from very different religious background than Jonah. And what I want you to see, though, 
is this contrast, and why is it sobering? First of all, Jonah does not come off looking good here at all, and these pagan sailors come off looking really good. And let me show you what I mean. I'll give you two examples here. First, the, these pagan sailors, they show way more spiritual sensitivity than, than Jonah does. The people that you wouldn't expect to show this spiritual sensitivity uh, do, and the one that you would expect to do that you, you doesn't. Let me show you what I mean. If you look in verse 5, uh, the first time we see here in verse 5, the, the narrator says that the mariners were afraid. They were afraid of the storm. Their boat's about to get ripped apart. But then notice in verse 10 how their fear develops. In verse 10 it says, the men were exceedingly afraid. That means that they, that they fear a great fear once they discovered what Jonah had done. That Jonah had run from his God, who he describes here as the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. These sailors have encountered a prophet of the God who made everything, is sovereign over everything, and he's running the opposite direction. And they fear a great fear when they discover that. But then look in verse 16. This is after, towards the end of the story, after they've thrown Jonah into the sea, and the sea is now calm. The narrative says that the men feared the Lord exceedingly. If we were to translate that uh, very literally, the sailors feared with great fear the Lord after hurling Jonah into the sea, and the sea becomes calm. What you see here is the sailors are utterly transformed by this experience. And Jonah is not. These pagan sailors, the story ends Presumably, in verse 16, after they've gotten back to the shore, they go and they worship this God. They offer sacrifices to him. They make promises to him to love and to serve him. Jonah nowhere exhibits that, anywhere in the story. He is not changed by this experience. In fact, it gets worse, which we'll see in a moment. But the second thing we see here as a contrast is not only do the sailors... Are they transformed by this from unbelief to belief? They actually show way more compassion and concern for Jonah, even after they discover what he's done, which is essentially going to, would have resulted in their boat getting destroyed. Then they show more compassion to him than Jonah does the sailors. Look in verse, look in verse 5. Jonah He's on the boat, and he's totally asleep. And the captain comes to him and says, What are you doing? Arise, call out to your God. Jonah doesn't even do that. But in contrast to that, notice what happens in verse 13. This is after they've found out who Jonah is, and he is admitted to what he's done in putting their lives in great jeopardy. And they ask him, what are we supposed to do? And Jonah says, 
you need to throw me overboard. In verse 13, it says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. These sailors sought to preserve Jonah's life with everything they had, but they couldn't. And nowhere in the story do you see Jonah even come close to caring for these pagan sailors the way that they do for him. Now, the contrast between Jonah and the sailors, I think, raises a very important question that many people ask about about Christians. And And the question goes like this. Okay, Christians, give them the benefit of the doubt for a moment, they say they believe all these great things about who God is, about forgiveness, about salvation, about what God's going to do to make everything right again, and yet their lives do not match what they believe. Why is that? I actually had uh, a mother of of one of the uh, teammates on one of my son's soccer teams ask me that question yesterday. After she had been at a soccer game where there was another team playing from a a uh, Christian school and was really bothered by how the parents acted. And she, she said, I just, it, it really was kind of hard for me because here these people are from a Christian school and they're not the things they said, how they treated the referees, the way they taught their children. It didn't line up with what they say they believe. And I sat there and said, I'm really sorry about that. that. That is really hard to hear. But that's a question a lot of people ask. Why is it that Christians believe these great things and yet there's this big disconnect? The answer to, this, to that question really is there is a disconnect for many of us between our beliefs and our character. We're not simply uh, vats of information but we are people who have God has we are creating God's image to to think to understand to feel to emote to want to do things and not to do other things we're whole beings and there is yet often a disconnect between our beliefs and our character and Jonah is a great example of this Jonah grew up in a period of Israel's history probably right around or just after Elijah and Elisha's ministry Elijah and Elisha if you don't know who they are two of the most important, significant prophets in the scriptures. Which is to say that Jonah grew up in a period of pretty significant spiritual privileges. He grew up during a time where, as a prophet, he could see and probably learn from the best. And yet here Jonah, when God calls him to go to Nineveh, he refuses to go. His beliefs and his character, there's a gap. There's a disconnect. And not only that, when God calls him to do something he didn't want to do, that disconnect grows bigger and bigger. Which brings us to our second point tonight. Not only is this a sobering contrast, it's also we see a downward spiral in Jonah's life, that we would do well to pay close attention to. 
in, in the book of Jonah, especially this first chapter and the second chapter, uh, if, you, if, you, if you ever want to do this, sit down and read chapter 1, chapter 2, and underline any words that describe going down. And what you'll notice is it's a theme that describes literally Jonah's descent, but also his spiritual disintegration. So, for example, in verse 3 of chapter 1, Jonah went down to Joppa. Again, in verse 3, he finds a ship in Tarshish, and he went down into it. And then in verse 5, Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship. And towards the end of chapter 2, that that same theme of Jonah is descending continues. And as a result, that theme is picked up in his life. And what I want you to see is try to give you a, a, a way to look at how can you de- detect what are the marks of sp- spiritual disintegration? What happens when we run away from God, when we be, wander from Him and His Word and His claims upon your life? We see at least four marks here. Let me tell you what they are, and then I'll describe them a little bit. The first one we see is a false interpretation of circumstances. That's the first one. A second one is a loss of spiritual sensitivity toward God and others. The third one is a breakdown of your identity, of your purpose and meaning in life. And then the last one, all of these cumulatively result in a hopeless despair over the future. So first... What do I mean by the false interpretation of circumstances? Look in verse 3. Uh, it says here that Jonah, he wanted to flee from God, and so he went down to Joppa and he found a ship. Now, it'd be easy to run past this. One of the ways that you can tell when your spiritual life is beginning to unravel is when you begin to look for circumstances that suit your purposes without regard to God's word. Here Jonah, though God had clearly said, go to Nineveh, he gets to Joppa, he finds a ship. And you have to wonder what perhaps went through Jonah's mind. Was God being merciful to Jonah? Was he saying, okay, I understand. This is hard for you to do. Nineveh is a hard place. I know you don't like them. I'm going to give you some time. And you can go float in the water for a little bit, and then somehow I'll get you to go back. Or is he saying something like, you know, did God in some way sympathize with him and understand this difficult situation that he's in? Jonah goes to Nineveh, or to Joppa. He finds what he wants to find, despite what God has said. And there's a very important point here. And one writer, I think, sums up this very, very well when he says, do not be guided by circumstances when you are refusing to first be guided by God's word. And I'll give an example uh, back from when I used to do college ministry. I always would talk to students as they were graduating about where they could go to work, where should they look for jobs, and it was always a struggle because you know, it wasn't always the case, especially if the student was a Christian and they were interested in finding a good church. They were often in the situation of deciding, do I take this lucrative job where I really don't know anyone and I'm not aware of any churches that I 
am aware of that I could maybe go to. Or I could take this other job that it's not maybe as lucrative or as prestigious, but there's, I have either some friends there or a really good church there. And I'm not here to tell you that there is necessarily a right or a wrong answer to that. But I am saying, you do need to ask the question, am I being guided by circumstances that I prefer? Or am I being guided by God's word? And what he tells me I need, and am I pursuing those things? So that's the first thing, a false interpretation of circumstances. The second one, though, is a loss of spiritual sensitivity toward God and others. Notice what happens here. Jonah, he boards this ship. And no sooner than he boards the ship, he goes into the very uh, depths of it, and he lies down, he falls asleep, and God hurls this great windstorm. And Jonah is sound asleep. The word that's used there to describe this sleep is, is really incredibly deep, deep sleep. It's not a cat nap, if you will. And what does that symbolize for us? Here, these sailors are in the midst of trying to survive in the midst of this storm. So much so they are throwing their cargo over, overboard, losing certainly lots of money. Or at least they are now going to be responsible to pay back merchants that they were maybe delivering goods for. Whatever the case may be, Jonah is utterly indifferent to their plight. He's sound asleep, totally indifferent, could care less. And even when he's rebuked and asked to wake up and to call upon his God, he doesn't do it. He's lost all spiritual sensitivity towards other people. But not only that, he's lost all spiritual sensitivity toward God. In verse 6, again, when the captain asks him to cry out to his God, he doesn't do it. There's an erosion of fellowship with God that doesn't begin right here. It actually begins way back in the beginning of the story when God had said, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. And he says, no. There's an erosion. He no longer thinks he can call on God. Or maybe he doesn't want to because of what might happen if he does. But then not only that, there's a breakdown of his identity, of his purpose in life. Notice what happens here in verse 9. After the, the sailors want to find out who's responsible for this, how... How did this evil come upon us? And they cast lots, and Jonah is found out. And he admits it, and he says, hey, I did it. He even tells them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And what's interesting here, the sailors barrage him with questions. They ask him, notice what they ask him. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are, of what people are you? Now, I don't know if you picked this up. He answers every one of those questions but one. Do you know which one he did not answer? The one question he didn't answer was his occupation. That he was a prophet, a servant of the Lord, sent by that God to preach to people who don't know him. See, Jonah... Part of the spiritual breakdown of his life 
is he no longer could own who he once was as a servant of the Lord, as a prophet. His identity is beginning to break down. His purpose in life is beginning to unravel. He doesn't know who he is anymore. That is a significant mark of spiritual disintegration and breakdown. He was no longer able to say that he was a prophet of the Lord. And then all of these taken together lead Jonah, when asked the question by the sailors, what should we do with you? He says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Jonah had come to despair over his own future. That's where spiritual disintegration leads to ultimately, is hopelessness, a sense of being trapped, of there's no other way out. It's all on me. I am the only one who can make this right again. And if I can't make it right again, then just end it. Just throw me overboard. This is despair. This is the ugly dark side of the spiritual downward spiral that we see in Jonah's life. Now, before we move on from that, let's just pause for a moment and ask ourselves a question. Ask yourself, do I see any of these marks of spiritual disintegration in my life as a result of drifting away from God's word? Now, the point of that question isn't to say that do you see it to the same degree or to the same extent that you might see it here in the life of Jonah. But it begins somewhere. It always begins small. Just like that circumstance where Jonah leaves and he goes to Joppa and he finds a boat. My guess is if you and I sat down together in a Bible study, we wouldn't make much of that detail. But it was a significant step on the way to to Jonah's spiritual breakdown, the downward spiral. Do you see any of these marks in your life? Now, whatever your answer may be, or wherever you find yourself this evening, we need the same thing that Jonah needs here. If you're left with yourself, you're left with despair. Sooner or later, we need the same thing that he needs. We need an experience of God's deep, life-changing grace. And as we were saying here, that Jonah's flight It has eroded all hope of rescue. He's trapped with no way out. And all he sees is that he must bear the consequences of his actions himself. But remember how we said earlier that one of our great struggles as people of faith is the disconnect between your beliefs and your character. Jonah had forgotten that he believes in a God who forgives a God who is gracious and merciful, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah knows that. But it has not taken deep root in his heart, in his life, so that it would do its work on him and change him. And this is what drifting from God's word always does. It always leaves you looking more at yourself than at God 
and what he has done in Jesus Christ. Always. And the reason for that is because the scriptures are first and foremost, the gospel is first and foremost not about us. The more you move towards God and what he says and what he has done, necessarily means you become smaller and he becomes greater. And that is life. That is hope. That's the end of despair. That's the end of guilt. That's the end of shame. But the more we wander from that, the more you become bigger. And your successes and your failures dominate you. And they will dominate you. They will own you. You will either live under the burden of having to succeed every single time and the pressure and the exhaustion and the anxiety that creates, or you will live under your failures and how you never live up and how you always seem to fail and you can never seem to change. That's always what happens when we wander astray from God's word. However, what Jonah had forgotten was that he believes in a God who forgives. Have you forgotten that? You see, in the gospel, when you're faced with your failures, your weaknesses, you need to come back to what the scriptures say, which we actually read earlier in our words of grace. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Among a number of things it means you are not the most important thing in the gospel. Jesus is. His performance, his obedience, his life, his death, his resurrection matters more for you. Do you really believe that? Do you know that? Have you experienced that in the depths of your being? See, Jonah's experience here, it's ending in despair like that, it's really not uncommon. And I think it's worth asking again, what can be done about that? What needs to be done about that is we need to drive this gospel of grace deep into our hearts. There needs to be a bridge between our beliefs and our character. And there are a number of ways that, that this can happen, but like gathering together for worship, that's a bridge. Uh, reading the scriptures together, that's a bridge. Connecting your belief to your character. Prayer. Spiritual friendship, where you talk these things out with one another and you hear words from outside of you telling you the good news and your need for it. Let me give you an example of how this works. I think this can describe different experience, two different kinds of experience of, of Christianity. One, take for example, you know, if you, if you come along a road and there's a big, huge boulder and your job is to clear the road so you can make a new road. One way to try to move that rock is you take the dynamite and you set it right next to it. And you might have a lot of dynamite. You set it right next to it and you detonate it. And all that that will do though is it'll just shear off the face of the rock. You haven't really changed anything. You haven't moved anything. You haven't really helped your situation at all. But you've made a big explosion. But if you drill down into that rock, deep inside of it, and you put dynamite down into the middle of that rock, and you detonate it, you will blow the rock apart. 
you will actually change your situation. The rock won't be there. You will be able to now create a new road. Now, I realize that's kind of maybe a little bit of a violent illustration. But see, that has to happen in your heart with the gospel. See, it's not enough to just, as it were, set the gospel next to you and let it set off. That's not going to change you. You need to drive the gospel deep into your heart so that when it explodes, there is an explosion of joy, there is an explosion of peace, of hope, of confidence. That when your beliefs do their work, it changes you permanently. So what are we supposed to do? Well, very simply, we need to pay closer attention to what we've heard. That's straight out of the book of Hebrews. We need to pay closer attention to what we've heard. Or as Paul would put it, you need to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. You need to take this good news and work it deep into your heart. If you don't know how to do that or you're having a hard time, that's what community is for. You can't really do that on your own. We need each other to do that, to help us to drive this good news into our hearts. Now, I think as is clear from this story, as I said at the beginning, even though Jonah and the sailors are the main characters, God is really the one driving the story forward. And what this story does teach us is that God pursues rebellious sinners to wake us up, to turn us back to himself Now, that's somewhat of an open question at this point in the story for Jonah. But what about you? What about me? What are you hearing from this story that God may be using to turn you back to him? Do you see a disconnect between your beliefs and your character? If so, think about this. How can you use the gifts that God has given you to bridge the gap? And to drive the gospel deeper in. And let me, I just want to suggest here a place for you to start. Make the words of of the psalmist from Psalm 119 your words. This is a great place to start. Let me read. He writes, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. That's Psalm 119, verses 11 and 34. Make that prayer your prayer. And perhaps you're here this evening, and and Christianity is not something that you would align with or identify with, but you are, for whatever reason, drawn to it, or you have questions about it, and you're curious about it. This can be your prayer too. Where the psalmist says, Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things in your word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would open our eyes so that we might behold the wondrous things that you have said in your word, the things that you have done, the ways in which you pursue people like us who for various reasons and at various times in our lives come face to face with you and what you say and want nothing more than to run the opposite direction. 
Thank you for not leaving us to ourselves. Thank you for pursuing us, even when it exposes us. And thank you that because of the gospel, despair and discouragement are not the last word. But because of Jesus and all that he has done in our place and for us, there is always forgiveness to those who ask for it. There is always hope for those who need it. There is power to change for those who are weak. Father, please make these words our words. And would you please drive this good news of the gospel deep into our hearts so it would change us, so that the words that we confess would align with the lives that we live for your glory and for our good. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.